If you've been with us in the previous weeks, you know that we're working our way through the letter of James. The first letter, first book, first anything of the New Testament, written very early on. Written from James to the Christians who have been scattered, Jewish Christians at this particular time, who have been scattered due to the persecutions that have gone on in Jerusalem. And they've been scattered to various areas. And he writes to them. And we've started it just a couple of weeks ago. We're going to continue and we're looking this morning just at uh, two verses. James chapter 1 verse 2 and 4. Let's all stand to hear God's word. I'm just going to read those two verses. Verse 2 and verse 4. James tells the Christians and us and all Christians throughout all the centuries between then and now. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials... Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Please be seated. Let's just come to God again in prayer before we consider those words there in James. Father in heaven, our Lord and our God, as we now turn to your word, we turn in anticipation and even excitement, because it's a word from the living God to his people. Your word to us, and what an amazing thing that is. We thank you for the word. We thank you for all of your word, and particularly we thank you for the letter here of James, and for his willingness in his day, 2,000 or so years ago, to even face more than persecution, even death, the greatest of persecution, to face up to that and still be willing to stand. And when he talks about trials, we know that he's talking to Christians who really went through trials, far greater than we go through, and yet he's saying, consider it joy. We pray that you'll help us to understand, to learn, to grow, to mature as a result of your word in our lives. And I pray that you'll open my mouth to speak your word for your glory this morning. Amen. Now if you were uh, here last week, we considered uh, a particular phrase that um, James gives us, them that love him. James calls Christians, them that love him. I wanted to pick up on that again, um, because loving God is without question the key to enduring trials. In fact, it's probably the most uh, single, um, strongest, clearest evidence of a genuine Christian, somebody who's truly saved. If anything is true of a genuine Christian, that is that they love God. They are those that love him. That's obvious when you think about it. And that's why James here is saying that Christians are them that love him. It's a title for Christians, but it's also um, the reason that they can endure under any circumstance. This is a letter, as I say, written to Christians who are going through great persecution, not just the general trials that we go through today, but serious persecution. And he says, you are them that love him, and that's why you can endure. That's why you can have joy, even in the face of great difficulties. And as we saw last week, as well as the ability to endure because of God's promise, God's power, Christ's prayers and the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we can also endure because we have a strong love for God. And no matter what trial, no matter what difficulty, no matter what the struggle, we endure. And why do we endure? First and foremost, 
because we love God and when you think about it you can see that in any relationship even on a human level if you truly love somebody you can endure a great deal you can endure all kinds of adversity because of a strong bond of love so in the trials the tribulations the difficulties that come into the life of a Christian the thing that holds us onto the Lord the thing that keeps our faith is this strong bond of love a bond that ties a man or a woman to God is a bond of love and that is a true bond that can endure any trial so James is saying here that people who can endure trials are those that love God which as we saw last week led us to the question what does it actually mean to love God? I mean anyone would say I love God I mean you could come to church and say well I'm, I'm here obviously I love him you could read your Bible and say well yeah of course I love him look I'm reading my Bible I'm praying but it might shock you to know that all of those things don't really prove anything. Anyone could do those things and still not actually love him. Jesus himself, as we saw last week, gave us the definition in his words of what it meant to love him. He gives us that in John 14 verse 15 and in many other verses too actually. And he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's really the key to loving him. That's what Jesus says. That's the identification of what it actually means. Is somebody a Christian? Jesus said, if they obey my commandments, then they will love me. Now that doesn't mean, now don't worry because you might think, well hang on, I've broken one or two commandments over my time. He doesn't mean that you will be perfect. He doesn't mean that you will never sin. What he means when he says, if you obey my commandments, then you are my disciples, then you really love me. And the very least he means that you accept his commandments, obviously. And he means that if you have a life where you are endeavouring to live by those commandments, and I don't just mean the Ten Commandments, by the way, Jesus didn't mean that, he meant everything he's ever said. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it, Jesus is saying, if you are somebody who truly loves God, you accept what I say. And you endeavour to live by that. You endeavour to obey all his word. You can't even begin to obey it if you don't actually accept it all. And that's what Jesus was saying. And, and I saw, as we saw last week, I was uh, stressing just how important it is to accept all his word, the entire Bible. I can't stress that too strongly. It's far too serious. It has eternal consequences. As I say, Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, then you love me. So that's what James is thinking about too. He's thinking about people who love him. And as I say, that proves that you love him if you obey his commandments. There are lots of things that don't prove necessarily that you're a Christian. Um, some people would say, yes, I, true love, uh, I truly do love God. But, um, for example, outward morality uh, doesn't really prove it. A Christian should have outward morality, of course. But there are lots of people in the world who are outwardly moral but don't truly love God. Theological knowledge, that doesn't prove it either. There are lots of people who know a great deal about theology and can quote the Bible with the best of them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they genuinely love God. The devil quotes the Bible all the time. That's exactly what he did in the wilderness with Jesus. When he was attacking Jesus, what did he do? He just kept quoting the Bible. The devil knows the Bible inside out. He does not love God. Religious activity. That doesn't prove it either. There are all kinds of people get engaged in all kinds of religious activity, but don't necessarily love God. 
if you do love God, obviously you will be engaged in religious activity, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really prove anything in and of itself. The thing, as I say, that proves is the fact that if you obey his commandments. But apart from that, that overriding proof that you are a Christian, what else do we need to think about? And that's what James is writing about here. In this letter, James shows us how to determine whether or not we truly love God, and he gives us a series of tests. There's the test of blame and temptation. There's a test of how we do respond to the Bible. There's a test of impartial love towards others. There is a test of righteous works. There's a test of the tongue. A test of wisdom. There's a test of worldly indulgence. There's a test of dependence. There's a test of patience. A test of truthfulness. And then finally, the, the last test that we see, as we're going to be working through all these tests as we go into the future in the months to come, as we look at this letter, the final test that James gives us as an indicator that you are truly a Christian is a test of prayerfulness. All of these are tests which if you are genuine in your faith, then you will pass. Now they're not meant to make you doubt, that's not the idea. The whole point of these tests is to encourage you if you are a genuine Christian. But also, as I said last week and the week before, is to make sure that if you're not a genuine Christian, you need to know that because you need to turn to Christ and become a genuine Christian. So we've already been looking at these, and last week we started this first test, and the first test is the test of endurance through trials. We saw that last week. Enduring trials, enduring difficulties, the hard things that go on, the difficult times in your life, if you are a genuine Christian, you will cope, you will get through it, you won't give up. Back in verse 2 we noted last time, all Christians will fall into various difficult times, various trials throughout their life. We also noticed in verse 3 that that is a test of the validity of their faith. We also saw um, that Peter writes about the same thing in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and 8. And James really sums it up in 1 verse 12 um, with similar statements that we saw in Peter. We saw that last week. So the one who endures trials, we saw, is going to be rewarded. And they will reveal themselves to be the one who truly does love the Lord. They accept and they live by his words. So we're dealing with trials as a test for genuine salvation. Last time, if you remember, we also considered the fact that Christians are not only secure uh, because God will make sure that we're secure, but we also persevere from our own viewpoint. So God keeps us and we also persevere. There's two sides to it. There's no trial no tribulation, no difficulty that come into your life that can really cause you to fall away. If you are a genuine Christian, you will always stay true to God's word. But if you give up in the middle of the trial, if you walk away from God, if you deny God, if you ignore God, if you ignore God's word, James says, well really, you're not a Christian, that's dead faith. That's not an indicator that you're saved. And as we saw in 1 John 2 verse 19, John says that these people, well the reason they left is because they were never genuine in the first place. If they were genuine, it says in 1 John 2 verse 19, they would ne never have left in the first place. I've seen that happen a number of times. I've even baptised people who've just given up. Because I don't know... I'm not uh, able to discern whether somebody is or is not a true Christian just when they come to me and will say, well, I am a Christian and 
I would baptise them but then I have had people who give up they just stopped coming to church and then never came back on the other hand there are people who have gone through absolutely um, tremendous um, horrendous trials and difficulties and tribulations and they don't give up like Job he didn't give up and the reason they don't is because they have genuine faith in God so James is concerned about that he's also concerned about how we as Christians can make the most of the trials what can we learn from the difficulties we go through how can we be able to be strengthened to grow, to mature to be closer to God as a result and he gives us um, several means to this perseverance how can we persevere through trials how can we be victorious in our trials and I ended last week if you remember by giving you a quick list of how we can do that and for this week and next week we're going to work our way through that list if you remember last week I said James says that we can endure through difficulties if we have a joyous attitude verse 2 count it all joy we can endure if we also have an understanding mind verse 3 also if we have a submissive will verse 4 and if we have a believing heart verse 6 if we're not double minded verse 8 and finally verse 9 to 11 if we have a humble spirit now as I say today we're going to start to look at these key means really to persevering through trials how are you going to cope during the difficult times that you will find yourself in if you stay true particularly if you stay true to the Bible for this week we're going to consider the first three then we'll consider the rest next week and the first that we see here is in verse 2 it's a joyous attitude even in the midst of trials this is a bit controversial when you think about it he says consider it joy all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance that's something that you wouldn't necessarily want to hear when you're in the midst of a difficult trial consider it all joy this difficult time that you're going through James says in other words God says consider it all joy really yes that's exactly what he says to evaluate it to consider it the, the Greek word there means to to consider it and um, it doesn't mean that you're going to feel like being joyful it's not about an emotion you won't feel like it you choose despite the fact that you don't feel like it you choose despite the fact that you're going through that difficult trial and it therefore it's not an emotion it's a choice and as I say most of the time you won't feel like doing it it's something you have to discipline yourself to do you've got to say this is going to be all joy I'm going to make this all joy and by joy James doesn't mean that you're going to be smiling and laughing that's not true joy that's an emotion this is an attitude this is a choice in how you react to the difficult things that you come across in your life it's a conscious commitment to a joyous attitude Paul for example says in Philippians chapter 4 I have learned in whatever state I am to be content now remember this is Paul 2000 years ago when people were killed for being a Christian and he was killed eventually but he said I've learned and many times he was in prison for being a Christian I've learned to be content whatever whether it's good whether it's bad whether it's anywhere in the middle and just after that he says rejoice always and again I say rejoice now he said that when he was actually in prison 
So it's not like he was living an easy life as a Christian. He was actually in prison for being a Christian. But he says, I've learned to rejoice. I've disciplined myself to rejoice. I don't feel like it. I mean, who feels like rejoicing when they're being put in prison? Particularly when he was in prison just for being a Christian. He hadn't done anything wrong. He was only there because he was a Christian. But he chose to be joyful. That takes some discipline. James, therefore, says, count it all joy when various trials come your way. And notice he says, when. He doesn't say if various trials come your way, he says when. In other words, they are coming your way. It's inevitable. As we saw last week, if you live according to what God says in the Bible, all of it, you'll be criticised, you'll be condemned, you'll be persecuted, just as Jesus was. Jesus actually warns us, if you live this way, if you live according to what I say in my word, you will face persecution, criticism, condemnation. People won't like it. That's why you're going to have difficult times. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my word. And then he says, and people will hate you. So it's not like he doesn't warn us. He makes it very clear. If you love me, you will live and you will accept my Bible, my word, all of it. But by the way, don't forget, people will hate you for doing that as well. So he warns us. So therefore, as Christians, we are going to face difficulties and trials in our life if we obey God's commands. Paul says, if you live according to God's word, you will be persecuted. Jesus himself faced many trials and difficulties, so we shouldn't be surprised. He was criticised, he was attacked, he was abused constantly. And he says in Matthew 10 verse 25, it's sufficient for the disciple that he should be like his teacher. And then he says in John 15, If they hated me, they will hate you too. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. In other words, don't be surprised, Jesus is saying, if the people treat you the same way that they treated me. How did they treat him? They hated him, they rejected him, they crucified him. They literally killed him. In John 16, he even says, The day will come when people will think that they will please God by punishing you, just because you live according to my word. I mean, Jesus never sought troubles, but he also always accepted them when they came. And he was even joyful. It says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and the shame. And he said that for the joy, he endured the cross. It doesn't seem to fit, does it, in our minds. We think, well, hang on, how can you have any joy in enduring a crucifixion? The worst pain and suffering that, that people could devise. But yet that's what it says. He went through it all, but he looked beyond it to the joy that he built to realise when it was over. In other words, what the trial would accomplish. Later it says in Hebrews 12... Trials, difficulties don't seem joyous at, fair, at first. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but it seems to be grievous. But afterwards, it yields to peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are properly exercised by that trial. What he's saying there is, when you're going through it, you won't feel like being joyful. You won't feel like wanting to endure it. It will be very, very difficult. But look beyond it to the joy that will come. And we see that all the way through the Old and the New Testament. If you read... Uh, particularly uh, people who are preaching the, the good news or prophesying or telling people what God says. Anybody who ever tells others what God says will be persecuted. All the Old Testament prophets 
we see that. They were all criticised, abused and persecuted. All the New Testament preachers, exactly the same. And it's gone on throughout history. So James is saying here, when you see that trial coming, have the attitude of joy. Because you anticipate what's going to be done in your life. How God will cause you to grow, how he will cause you to mature, what you can learn, what you can cultivate. Whatever the trial may be, look beyond the trial to a joy. And notice also, in James, he doesn't just say joy, he says all joy. Full joy. So it's not just a bit of joy, it's all joy, sheer joy, pure joy. Count it a privilege to have your faith tested. Because you know that the testing of your faith will draw you to God. I've seen that in my own life. Whenever I face a difficulty or criticism, I go to God in prayer. I grow. My preaching even changes as a result. I get closer to God. I mean, I don't particularly want the hassle, but, you know, when it happens, it's a good thing, actually. That's what James is saying here. It's good. You don't enjoy it. You don't feel like enjoying it. But actually, it's a good thing. We so long for the intimacy and relationship and dependence of God that even trials are welcomed. I don't know if you've noticed that in the difficulties of your life you are so much more sensitive to the presence of God. You should be. Or when you're going through difficult times, your prayer life increases. You pray more. That's a good thing. Your communion with God increases. You start searching the Bible more to, to find answers to your problems. You start asking people to pray for you. All of this causes you to grow, to mature. It's a good thing. You don't necessarily enjoy the pain and the trial, but the results are good. And not just physically good, we're talking about eternally, spiritually good, and that's what's really important. We are privileged to have our faith tested, even privileged to suffer, because the results are eternal. That's why James says, count it a privilege, accept it with all joy. 1 Peter 2 verse 20, Peter says that if you, in suffering, are doing whatever God wants you to do, that's acceptable to God. God's pleased when you suffer because you've done something that he wants you to do. You're suffering on his behalf. When people attack or are criticising you because you follow God's word, they're not attacking you at all. It's not personal. They might think they are. They're actually attacking God. That's what's happening. They're attacking God. When people hated Paul and Peter and James and John and all the other disciples, they weren't really hating Paul and Peter personally. They, they were hating God. They hated God because of what these men were doing because God told them to do it. One uh, we see in Hebrews 12 verse 4 says, You haven't suffered yet unto death. In other words, you haven't suffered as much as Christ has suffered. So you can cope. And even if you do, he'll give you the strength. Even if you do have to die for it. If he could endure the cross and see that as joyous, all your smaller trials should certainly be seen in the same way. Now Paul is a great example of this, as I've already mentioned. He went through amazing, difficult times. But he was always able to choose joy, to choose to rejoice. We see, for example, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, they're in jail. Now don't get the idea that, um, the, that it was a bit similar to the, to the jails we have. This is a totally different thing. These are almost like pits. Disgusting, filthy, no sanitary conditions. Very, very difficult. Not like a prison that we know of today. 
usually you would be put in stocks that meant that your arms would be stretched distance apart your legs would also be stretched apart a bit like a like a pulling a wishbone um, would cause your muscles to tighten into knots because of the immobility and the stretching and they were in that condition in stocks in a disgusting jail with no sanitary conditions and as well as that there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be killed so they know that that's in the back of their minds we're probably going to be killed how do they react? Verse 25 says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Now, they weren't smiling and laughing. Don't get that idea. They weren't thinking this is funny. They weren't smiling about it. They were in horrible conditions. But they chose to be joyous despite the pain, the anguish, the difficult situation that they found themselves in. They had a joyous attitude in the midst of extremely difficult, even horrendous trials. We also see in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now you know, Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, so close to God, he'd think that God would always answer his prayers. Obviously. He prayed three times. Please God, take this away. Each time God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I want you to go through this. I want you to go through this difficulty. You don't need the elimination of the trial. You need the grace that you're going to get to endure it. You're going to go through it. Now Paul didn't feel like going through it. As I say, he asked God three times, please, I'd rather not go through this. But God said, no, you're going through it. You need this, Paul. You need to grow. And then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. After he asked three times, he said, okay, fine. If that's what you want, God, I trust you and I thank you for all that you're putting me through. He chose to rejoice in his trials, in his difficulties. And likewise, you need to do the same. First of all, because they draw you closer to God. And that brings true joy. Secondly, because then you have the privilege of suffering in fellowship with God. And that causes you to grow spiritually and to be able to glorify God more. And thirdly, and very importantly, it keeps you humble. That's what Paul needed. He needed to be kept humble. He'd been given some amazing visions from God. And he could have thought, hey, no, I'm, I'm pretty amazing. I'm Paul the Apostle. I get visions from God Almighty to tell you lot. Aren't I special? But God said, no, you're not. You're just the same as everybody else. I'm going to keep you humble. You're going to go through these pains. In Philippians 1 verse 12, Paul talks about the same thing. He's a prisoner and he writes to the Philippians. He says, these things have happened to me because of the greater progress of the gospel. In other words, I understand why I'm in prison, Paul said, because it's for the greater good. One example of that, he was chained to Roman soldiers. Now, the Romans probably thought, well, we've chained in the Roman soldiers. That'll teach him. But Paul thought, hang on, they've chained me to Roman soldiers. What a great opportunity to witness. So he witnessed to the Roman soldiers and they were saved because it says in Philippians 4 verse 22, all the saints greet you chiefly those of Caesar's household. How did some of Caesar's household become Christians? Because Paul was chained to the Roman soldiers and Caesar's household and he just witnessed to them. He kept telling them about God. He thought this is a pain, this is difficult, I'm in prison, but I can witness. So he did. And people got saved. They'd just given Paul a captive audience. They thought Paul was the captive. <laughs> no, they, they were the captives. Captive to Paul and God. He says in verse 14, Many of the brethren have become more confident because of my bonds. 
In the same way, many of the Christians have grown and matured because I'm in prison. Because I'm going through difficult. And he says in Philippians 2.17, If I have to be offered up like a sacrifice for your faith, I joy and I rejoice. And that's just before he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul learned in any state to rejoice. So any trials that you may go through, they won't be anywhere near as bad as what Paul went through. They can be faced with joyful attitude which proves your faith. It strengthens you, it draws you closer to God, it identifies you with Christ and it promises better things to come. So whether you start with the trials, you need a joyful attitude. You've got to choose it despite the fact that you will not feel like it. And then you'll be able to worship him more and more. Uh, a great Christian writer, Warren Robert, uh, I can never pronounce his second name, Rubius or something like that. He says, uh, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, trials will upset us. If we value material over and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, trials will make us bitter, not better. In other words, your values determine your attitudes. If you can't rejoice in your trials, then to be frank, your values are wrong. You've got the wrong values. You're not seeing that God has a purpose, that he's allowing you to go through this for a reason. Nothing happens to you without God's say. That's the first thing, count it all joy. Let's move on to the second one. The second thing you need if you're going to cope in trials is an understanding mind. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance in verse 3. The first word there is knowing, that speaks of the mind, any trial and difficulty, therefore you have to have an understanding mind. You have to know something. That knowledge is based on personal experience. And James is saying, look, if you're going to go through trials victoriously, if you're going to persevere, you've got to know a few things. You have to understand a few things. Christ had joy in enduring the cross because he understood more than anybody exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what was coming and he knew what the results would be. So what do you need to know? Well he gives you the first thing. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's how you should endure because you know that it produces endurance. It's like a, a circle that, isn't it? You need to know that something beneficial will happen and lots of beneficial things will happen. What should you know? First of all, that it's going to produce endurance. Your faith is being tested. You need to know that first. You need to know that when you come through it, you still have your faith, then you know that you're a genuine Christian. That's encouraging. I mean, if you ask me, how do I know I'm a Christian? One of the things I would say in response to that is, well, I've gone through difficult times. I've come through, my hope is still in God. I still trust him. I'm still here. Now, that's not because I'm a mature Christian. That's not because I'm strong in the faith. That's not because I've been a Christian a while. It's not about me at all. It's simply because I'm genuinely saved, therefore God gives me the strength to endure. It's about God, not me. If he didn't, I'd have probably given up years ago. I'd have certainly given up being a pastor years ago. Because the amount of criticism that pastors receive is quite shocking. It can easily make you want to give up. And I know so many pastors who've given up so easily. I don't know why they have, because God hasn't let me. I've even wanted to at times, but he hasn't let me. Because it's about him, not me. It doesn't matter what you go through, God will keep you strong. Being a Christian 
and living the way God commands in his word is extremely difficult. Jesus warns about that. You know, sometimes you get people saying, become a Christian and you'll never have another problem in your life. You'll never have another worry. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, become a Christian, it won't be easy. You will suffer. Sometimes your family will reject you. Sometimes your friends will reject you. You are going to go through difficulties. It's not easy. It's a narrow path. And it's a difficult path. There is a broad path. You don't want to be on the easy path. You want to be on the narrow path. The world around us will constantly tell us we're bigoted, even and unloving if we stay true to the Bible. The world around us will constantly tempt us to move away from what God says. The films, the television, the books, the magazines. It's all the opposite of what God says in his word it would be so much easier to just to fit in don't upset anybody you don't want to disagree with them just have an easy life so much easier on the surface but that wouldn't be what God wants and we would be disobeying God and it wouldn't be easy at all really therefore we can only persevere because of God's strength in our lives not our own strength so James firstly says, you know, you know your faith is being tested and anything that's legitimate is going to be tested. So it can be proved to be true. And that's an encouragement. The word testing means proof. Don't ever think that trials don't accomplish anything. They accomplish a great deal. We gain more endurance. And we're told in 1 Corinthians, as I said last week, 10 verse 13, that you won't ever come across a trial that you can't cope with. You will be strengthened. You will be encouraged. God will help you through that trial. No matter how difficult it is, you will endure. The writer of Hebrews says that um, by faith the people of Israel went through the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptians were drowned and so on and so forth. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about lots of people in times of difficulty. He says about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. And he's saying all of these people went through tremendous difficult times. And they all endured because of God. In unbelievably difficult circumstances. Some of them were tortured. They were mocked. They were scourged. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. Some were even sawn in half, it says. And many were killed, slain with a sword, destitute, afflicted, tormented. And God says in Hebrews, the world wasn't even worthy of them. Now that's something, isn't it? The world wasn't even worthy of them. These people who went through all of this. They stayed true to the Bible. They stayed true to what God says, despite even death. They did it by faith. And they received the promise. And God rewarded them. So James is saying, when the trials come, you have to have an understanding mind. You have to understand that the Lord is giving you endurance. He's strengthening you. Finally then for this morning, there's a third thing necessary for perseverance. And it's a submissive will. Verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect word. In other words, let it happen. Don't fight it. Submit to God's word. All of it. It's not an option. It's a command, demands submission. James is saying, be submissive to the trial. Don't try and fight it. Just stay true to God. Don't argue about it, just accept it. You're going through a trial, pray about it, ask for help obviously, but you're going to go through it. There's no side exit. It's going to cause you to grow, it's going to cause you to mature. So accept it. Job 
thanked God and willfully submitted to all that God let him go through. And one thing that's interesting about Job, it wasn't all the horrible things that he went through that really confused him. It wasn't the circumstances that bothered him. The only thing that bothered Job is the fact that he didn't get an answer from God. He never knew why he was going through it. Even right to the end, he never ever found out. He kept asking and God didn't tell him. For a reason. Because God wanted Job to trust him without any answers. He wanted complete trust. And Job eventually learned that. You've got to give yourself to God. You've got to trust him. It says in Psalm 37, Fret not because of evildoers. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. Just trust him. You can trust him. And remember... That the goal isn't even the endurance itself. The goal actually is perfection. We're, we're aiming to be perfected as Christians. The more that you go through, the more that God allows you to go through, the stronger you get, the more he allows you to go through, the closer you get to him, the more you grow, the more you endure. The more stronger you become. The more able, therefore, to worship God as he should be worshipped. And that really is the ultimate goal. And it says in Philippians 3 verse 15, Let us therefore be mature. You know, in Jeremiah 48 verse 11, there's a judgment against Moab. Um, and in Jeremiah it says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. Moab was ungodly, God said, because he was at ease from his youth. So we know his problem, God tells us. Moab, God said, never had a difficulty in his life. And a life without difficulty produces a very, very weak character. And then it says in Jeremiah, he has settled on his lees. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste has remained in him. His smell isn't changed. Now what is God saying there? He's settled on his lees. He hasn't been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him and his smell isn't changed. Well, lees are sediment. It's a picture of winemaking. Now what they used to do, they would get, usually a goat skin, make the wine, put it in a goat skin, leave it. You leave it for a while and the leaves would settle at the bottom, the sediment. What you do then, you'd pour it into another goat skin, leave it a while until more leaves settle, the sediment settles. Then you could again put it in another goat skin, leaves would settle. God says that hasn't happened to Moab. The leaves haven't settled. In other words, as you pour the wine from goatskin to goatskin, you're making it sweeter and sweeter, you leave the sour lees in the other one, they actually used to make vinegar from the, from the lees, the sediment, but eventually the wine had a sweet fragrance. And that's what he's saying about Moab. He doesn't have a sweet fragrance, he's just still bitter. Because he hasn't been poured from vessel to vessel. In other words, he hasn't had any difficulty in his life. He hasn't been poured from trouble to trouble. So that the bitterness could be removed. And he could eventually end up as a sweet scent. He's had an easy life. And that's not good. That's not a good thing, says God. And that's why James says, count it joy. Submit to it. When God allows you to go through any trials. Because the bitterness of your life is settling to the bottom... Until finally, as you go through from wineskin to wineskin in the analogy, only the sweet savour is left. There's no bitterness left at all. That's why God allows you to go through difficulties in your life. That's why you can rejoice with that in mind. And if you approach your trials like that, then you're going to turn trouble 
into triumph. Well, there's three more to go, and we're going to be looking at them next time, about how you can survive, how you can cope with the difficulties in your life. But for now, let's come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to learn from you, to know what you have to say to us. We thank you that we are your people. We thank you that we have your strength. We thank you, Lord, that we can face any difficulty. And we thank you that the difficulties in our life cause us to grow stronger, to mature. We pray that will always be the case in our lives. And we pray that whatever we go through, that we can always glorify you as our Lord and our God. Amen.